Welcome to the first episode of Your Space to be Heard, a local podcast exploring what mental health means within our community. My name is Laura Stead, Managing Director of Space to be Heard, and today we are joined by Hayley Jackson and Sabine Inken-Schmidt. I'll hand over to Hayley. So my name's Hayley and I'm the Business Development Director here at Space to be Heard, and we've asked Sabine Inken-Schmidt to come and join us to talk about transactional analysis and Sabine Inken's role as a HR professional. So I'll hand over to Sabine. My pleasure. So I'm coming today in a double role, so to speak. One will be that I'm a provisional teaching and supervising transactional analyst. On the other hand, I'm working in the HR field for 25 years and I have extensive experience on what people experience in the workplace and what that means for organizations. And um, and that's an exciting role to have. And thank you very much for joining us. We're, um, we're recording this in a lockdown situation. So Sabine is joining us from Germany via Zoom. So we're doing it all within COVID safe guidelines, but also in mind, we do want to explore some of what we've been experiencing in the last year. You know, it, it's a key aim for Space to be Heard to engage with local organisations about what their workforce is experiencing. And in the last year, that has changed in many different ways. So it's a really good opportunity for us to explore what this has meant for people in the workplace. So, yeah, let's fire off with some exploration, really, around maybe some of the experiences of challenges, well-being in the workplace, what our experiences are and where we think there is work to be done and how we can engage employers and employees. Yeah, absolutely, Laura. I think workplace well-being is is often very much underestimated. People go to work, they get busy, they get on with it, and before they know it, they're experiencing real stress and burnout, anxiety about workload and performance. And I'm sure I certainly have experienced that in the workplace in, in the past, and I'm very much aware of it now having changed my career to be more around actually looking after or or being able to offer a service to help people to look after themselves and be aware of what's happening. Um, So I think it will be really useful to get some insight from you, Sabine Inken, in terms of what you've, I guess, experienced and particularly over the last 12 months whilst we've been in this situation with COVID. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think nobody of us expected this and nobody has ever experienced that. So it's a quite unique experience for all of us in a sense of a journey for companies, uh, but also for the employees. It's the first time where we actually also meet the families of our employees, sometimes through the Zoom, but also in the connection that the employees are working from home. And I find that quite unique because I think we saw from each other more of the private worlds than we have seen before. And um, and that's also when I connect that now at the moment with transaction and analysis, we have quite good models to think about that and think about the different worlds of the private world and the organizational world. And having this opportunity really to, to structure our thinking and experience was helpful. But I'm also quite happy to share some of my experience I've seen in our company. I'm working in an international company. I'm serving people in Europe. So I see as well the differences in countries partially. So not only people are different, also countries are different. Uh, when I look at the, at the beginning where we started with COVID, I have experienced a high sense of solidarity to help each other and to care for each other, making sure that everyone is safe. And we had to think about as people from us were going to customer sites and how do we protect them 
do we need to think about the risk when we send them out in the name of the company? And would we also risk the, the lives of the families? And then I think what was noticeable, we had very low sickness rates from the start, especially at the beginning. What do you think that is about? Do you think that is because everybody was plunged into almost the home working environment where it was different? They didn't have to get up and commute to work. They didn't have to perform in the same way. What do you count that to? We think there are two things coming together. One was even in the stress, a little bit more relaxed. You know, they didn't have to commute. And when you like, for example, feel exhausted or tired or a slight cold, you know, this kind of opportunity to stay at home and sip the tea and not going out into the cold and leading this effort to go to work. We think that has contributed at the beginning. While now, when we look at it 12 months later, we also notice that people have avoided going to a doctor or listening to themselves. See this coming up again, especially I see more um, in the mental health. People are aware that some of the experience is not what they experience as regular. I really relate to um, what you said about this sort of initial period of, of lockdown back in March, April time, to kick into a very practical mode to make sure that A, we were all safe, and B, that the business survived with as little disruption as possible and there was a big turnover from you know what we know as our sort of face-to-face therapy room work onto online and I think at Space to be Heard at at that point we had around 400 patients that we were working with and and 15 clinicians and it felt like a huge leap to Mm. turn over to being in a room with somebody to working online or on the telephone And, and I'm so proud to say that actually we did make that switch and, and business wasn't as disrupted as, as we could have feared. And of course, we were kept safe by being able to do that. But equally, you know, we have to think about how we are going to exit out of the comfort and running alongside that as well. With this switch in the early days, there was a drop in referrals and a drop in people actually accessing our services. Whether we think some of that is due to people's anxiety settling because they can stay safely within the four walls and and not have to face whatever the fears may be outside of their own four walls or you know that people just thought well I can't access help and support because we're in lockdown and I think there's still a lot we need to understand about that and find out but completely agree that I think coming out of this 12-month period is when we will see the impact and the waves of distress and potential mental health difficulties. So it's been very interesting, both as an organisation, how we've operated internally between us, but also in terms of the service users, clients, patients that we hope to engage with and help and support. And it seems that everything at the beginning there was a big rush to um, maintain the continuity of the business for everybody to be able to get a sense of normal to still be able to go to work and meet the deadlines and, and the pressures that they were feeling and everything was very put together and and I know as we talked previously Sabine and that there were things that you felt as a company that, that you did overlook in those initial stages of getting everything together and that continuity. So I think we have actually focused on mental health and that was important to us and I think some of the organizational development aspects I have overlooked was you know the differentiation of essential and not essential. I think we have focused very much on essential is the person who has to go to a place even if there is COVID mm. while we uh, probably discounted a little bit that the people working from home and dealing with their children at home were also essential in what they needed, but they're not called essential. 
for some of them, they felt it was like they're going into risk zone, going to work, while the others were probably feeling they were in a totally overloaded form because, you know, they, they dealt with homeschooling, for example, or with other situations. That is something probably I would think about differently using essential or not essential when I look back now. What I also overlook is that employees can be flexible as they want and we can be flexible, but there are a lot of governmental rules and structures which are not as flexible. And I just want to say, if you punch for work and then you have to deal with homeschooling, how do you do that from home? And how do you make sure that you work the hours and it doesn't have anything to do with the control the manager wants to do, but just by law. Then you have home accidents. What does that mean when you fall over the cat in the kitchen? Is that a work accident now? And what happened as you went through these past 12 months, as you got into that that middle period, what did you start to notice around the mental health of, of the employees that you have? First of all, there were a couple of people really engaged with the topic of mental health and were not afraid to speak up anymore and um, had that out of own experience and were were bringing their experience and knowledge into the company, which I appreciated a lot. The differentiation when you're in home office, what is mental health? There, you know, mental health, we usually quite often think it's in the private world, maybe. I learned that we also have to deal in the middle of a divorce process and not being able to go to work and having it the distance. This much, it was much closer suddenly. The, the topics were more private, and that is what I noticed, and that made it harder as well for managers partially to deal with that because it got more personal. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when we look at it, I see at the moment more mental health issues coming up, especially as people start to lose a little bit hope of how is it looking after COVID. I think in January, I've heard a lot of people talk about that sense of hopelessness sort of kicking in then more so than I think people started to wonder, will this really end? Um, and what will it look like? You know, I certainly have experienced excitement, some light at the end of the tunnel. We've been vaccinated, haven't we, Haley? And and that feels great on the one hand, but then what does it mean? You know, what does it mean for us all now re-entering into what the world is now? It isn't really the same as, as before, and that's going to have impact in varying ways on people, which we can't really measure. The struggles that people were already experiencing emphasised and, and heightened by the experience of COVID, so a difficult relationship at home when you can't get out of your home has been emphasised. Stress levels if you've got your children at home when you're trying to work. Somehow the last sort of 12 months have sort of amplified what already tricky situations could be. Running alongside, you know, the reality of grief and loss and trauma, you know, that's always around for us, isn't it? Grief, loss, trauma is always around for us, but it will have been more because people haven't been able to be with people that they've lost or the trauma experienced by people working on the front line. And I know we've talked quite a lot in our organisation about how we prepare for what this means for people and how do we do that? I think we've got really amazing frameworks that, like TA, you know, ways to, to do this, but there's a lot we still don't really know and it feels a bit like uncharted territory at the moment. It does. And, and I think one thing that concerns me in this, this new world that we're living in and how we're working more virtually and remotely with people is how people can hide and can avoid so much more than when they are actually physically in a workplace so you know they can hop on online for meetings and things and do what they need to do but you're not getting the same kind of conversation that you might have in the canteen for example and when you're making a a coffee so there's that 
being able to reach people and knowing when people are are having a tough time i think that the mental health and mental well-being however we we want to frame it of people in the workplace is so so important but it's it's how we can put it out that it's it's okay to reach out yeah and, and i agree as well very much with and, and can relate very much to what you say of this we meet each other at the coffee machine and we just look into you know we see the body language we see how how you move so the the arrangement is much more purposeful while this meeting in uh, in the coffee corner was sometimes you know just by chance saying is everything okay Haley? well how was your weekend it's so important to feel as well belonging alone being on screen and showing your face all the time is already a lot for some people so you know and how do we pick up this kind of signs if you are really okay because at the moment i probably hear your voice and if you're halfway good you say oh yeah everything is okay and then i think should i dig now should i ask again and how much would i be able to cope with that if you told me that you're not managing am i courageous enough to ask and i'm strong enough to take the answer um i have seen grief in very different forms in the last 12 months in a situation of death for sure but also the situation of, of the people who had uh, COVID who lost their sense of taste and smell which has not stopped for some people and is very hard for the people who like to eat, uh, for example, on, and, you know, enjoy themselves and, you know, have not, and losing a sense what kind of impact is that. But also the longing of our salespeople to go out and sell. They have not seen their customers for 12 months. They have not seen the people which their professional world is to go and see, ah, oh, yeah, you're helping me with this. You know, you don't have this kind of exchange of strokes. And... As we discussed, we seem only to exist from the head to the chest, right? Moving our bodies along with us is going to be the topic of this year, I guess. There's a bit of an aside, but um, an area of work that we're looking into as an organisation at the moment, we've got a service that's called Remind within Space to be Heard, and it's a specialised service that works with people um, and has done for a long time around different presentations such as chronic fatigue, ME, fibromyalgia, and, and works really closely with people around the mind and body connection which is just fascinating. And what we have identified is that that specialist expertise can work really well with people experiencing post-COVID symptoms and long COVID. I don't know whether you have to have had COVID actually to get long COVID symptoms. I don't know if it's a bit of a strange thing to say, but like you said, that connection to your body is different at the moment than it is normally stuck on the screen, stuck in your chair, like we said. And um, that sort of reconnection of getting back into your body and to work is something in itself, but also that sort of idea of, of being able to work with people with some of the more enduring symptoms that they've had after having COVID is going to be really interesting and presenting in people in the workplace. Like you say, with smell and taste not coming back, the distress people are presenting with around that, through to the fatigue, joint pain. I mean, the, the list of symptoms is huge. Yeah, it will. And, and I wonder as well as this goes on in terms of how the performance of people is going to impact the workplace. People that are struggling with long COVID symptoms, for example, you know, they, they want to potentially be at work. They want to maintain the same level of whatever it is that they've always done, yet they are struggling. And it's how employers can support their employees and recognise that actually this this is real, this is going on. And there are going to be some changes. They might not be able to do the job in the same way that they have done. And as you've alluded to, Sabine Incan, has likely changed very much over the last 12 months of how it's actually done. 
So there's there's going to be some real, I think, as the, as the next few months go along, there's going to be some different kind of challenges coming up for workplaces. And I think that this is, is also for our governments and societies an important factor that we make a decision somehow if this is going to be permanent or not permanent. How many people do have the space at home to have a really ergonomic desk, being undisturbed, having good light, having everything they need, you know, to do their work, because I think a lot of people are still working as if this is going, you know, away or, you know, I think we all have seen probably more of private spaces, beds, sofas, cupboards, cellars, you know, where people are actually working in. And depending on the culture and depending on the country, the life situation and the sizes of flats is also very different. What we have noticed is either people are living in cities and then the flats are so, so tiny that actually you can see probably the partner and the kids and the dogs in one picture. Or you have other people who have actually living somewhere where they usually drove to, but where the bandwidth for the internet is not enough and you can't do anything about the change up. Mm-hmm. You need then they can't take on the camera, for example, so you have already that. But it's now to say, okay, when is the, the employer, for example, paying for the home office space and you know, in, in what remit? And um, we noticed in the first week that people actually went to all the office and took their equipment away. That is what we are working with. And then a lot of people are waiting to go back to the office and have you know, this economic space as well. But what has helped with us is the agreement you can make with your manager that you do calls while walking. So I'm doing that, for example, with my team that it's uh, depending on if they wish or not that we actually have the one-to-one while we are walking for an hour. So that has helped as well when you're not in heavy traffic. So when you have the technology and you can do that, that that can really help. I, I think one of the things I'm also seeing is change management. When you really want to change something beforehand, you did workshops, and you knew there was something you could look at and there were posters maybe with a motto. All of that goes away. You explain things via the screen, but I think you engage less with people, their hearts and souls. We still think, oh, okay, now we do it online. But I'm not quite sure yet if you really manage this kind of belonging via a Zoom call. I think there is something where a physical presence is important to for you work together sort of back in the early days there was people that you'd listen to they're like this is you know a revolution will will work like this forever you know we don't have to pay for the space that we occupy and things and I was like quite fearful of that really because connection and relationship stuff is just so important isn't it like that that sense of being in a room with somebody and and making that connection and I I don't think you can reach the same it's difficult to be creative when you are not together it's it's a in in the same way that we are used to I guess it's much harder or or we found that that distance doesn't help us particularly I think I I agree with you and when we look um, you know in the TA environment when we talk about exams and so on how much do you need to do in person and how much can you do online and I think it's much easier to detach and not be in contact when you're when you're on the screen because you see my face I'm physically there you know on the other hand I just thought while you were saying you know people can't move around it might give a lot of opportunities for people who are not able to move around that much and get their sales talents out so you so you know beforehand you were used to you know to travel and you know needed to be physically very able and now maybe as well there are some opportunities when for people who are not that flexible at least in their in their physical uh, space 
that, and there are always opportunities with anything, mm. you know. Well, whilst I guess what we've talked about a lot is the challenges and and the changes that we've we've experienced and we've seen, but there are also new opportunities that are presenting to us all all of the time through these strange times. And I'm just wondering, Sabine, can if if now might be a good time to to talk about the transactional analysis um, aspect of how we can use that more in the workplace, I guess, to to seek out opportunities and invite people to to maybe start to, to think a little bit differently. TA is probably so interconnected with what I'm doing and how I'm doing things because a part of that is also how, how we look at human beings and, you know, from a humanistic approach, that our, you know, we, we think that people are okay, that also we think that they can think on their own and um, and make decisions for their lives as well to change their courses. So, you know, based on that belief, I think one, one of the things where I notice that I'm a GPA person in this sense is that I'm very careful of, you know, the, the moment when I'm getting too parental with instructions or help. Uh, we all tend to, when there is a, you know, what we perceive as a crisis, different people are coming together and some like very detailed documents and very much, you know, this is what you're doing and this is what you're not doing. And and they want to have it very prescribed. When we design things and we manage people that we find a good way between being nurturing, being caring and taking their own authority away of managing their own lives and making decisions. And I think that TA is very, you know, especially with everything we teach and how we live, and um, how we approach things that we are always very uh, much aware about that that we are doing an offering about you know the person is making the decision and also they're adult and, and can make that decision so i don't prescribe and i don't have an idea about that this might be the best for that person and i think that is what a ta person brings for sure to to the table would you agree with that mm, so so it's about inviting that person to think for themselves and give them permission that actually they can they can put forward their thoughts their ideas they can be how they want to be and that is acceptable it's it's absolutely okay yes and they have a choice and also that you create a choice of taking that offering or making a decision how mm. you know in in that space which you can allow especially when you say now so permission as as one of the three the other the other two are the power and the protection as a company we have to protect that is part of the relationship we have but also we can give power we can give the power to make a, a, a call and i give you an example uh, say when somebody from sales or sales engineer has to go to a customer it's his or her choice under the circumstances they are we can we can keep the um the, the structure we can hold the structure but the decision is on the employee if they want to take that opportunity up or not so and, and i think not being restrictive in a time where COVID is already restricting is an important factor to give this room of at least i can make a decision yeah and it's and it feels really important as well about helping another person to i want to say feel confident but it's not necessarily confident but it's more about being okay to be themselves and to actually let themselves be seen from a employer perspective about seeing that person and really seeing them really hearing them and listening to them yeah being courageous as well in that moment to to let that happen 
And and the other thought you're just triggering in me is that I think especially our idea about boundaries and you know setting boundaries is a decision of the individual because also the right of not being on camera, also the right of doing one thing at home and not being on a call, and also how much do I want other people to know of my private life? Because I notice as well that people try to juggle so many things. I mean, look alone at homeschooling. We have all seen little ones running in and out of the picture and, you know, parents being embarrassed or stressed by that, while it's probably not as stressful for the other person. Uh, But, you know, also, what do I want the other to see? Not only that I can decide what I want that it's seen, but also what Mm -hmm. I don't want to be seen. And being able that I don't want to talk about this, that that is also accepted. So, which is an interesting thing now, what we notice quite often with this kind of virtual backgrounds, that people are, I see that people are using that more and more because they want to, they don't want other people any longer to look into their homes. We never signed up for that, did we? We never signed up to have our homes exposed in any number of different, you know, it's not even just between you and your colleagues, is it? It's between you and a client or it's between you and a wider meeting that you might need to attend with people from lots of different organisations and it's a big ask I guess that that we can't take for granted as as employers. I get why people would want to put up that virtual background. Which is a boundary, which is also a clear boundary of not showing you my home without apologising. We have a couple of challenges going forward and some some of the models in TA really help people to understand processes which are going on in the company with themselves or, you know, in the time of COVID. And I think, you know, one of the, the ideas I was having was around the relational needs and that we also are aware about what we need from others and that we are not too shy to take that and ask for that. For example, the, the next to have a call, which gives a little bit of space for chit chat in a how are you doing i personally have quite called you know when the person is done with the topic they say goodbye and then i feel so vulnerable myself you know i feel like i was left at a train station somewhere so you know this this kind of also closing processes being able what is the relational need i have and how can i satisfy that i think that we can learn a lot out of that and I think another great concept is always good in organizational setting is this idea of grandiosity, where we think we know what is good for others. And I think to stay that away from that, you know, to have belief that we could find one thing which is satisfying everyone. And we all know that's not going to happen. So I see a lot of connections of the models and, and can explain and also be open with people. And I think we have such a good setting of finding as well our inner sense of what we need how we want to steer through this crisis. Mm, absolutely. And, uh, and I think it's really important for workplaces to see their employees as individuals. They are unique. They have unique needs. One size, one size doesn't fit all. And it's being able to make that connection with the individual to help them to feel safe, to develop that relationship and to be able to open up the conversation about how, how are they you know, how is their, their mental health or their general well-being? I think that's really important. And that's something as a an organisation that we focus on, isn't it, Laura, from Space to Be Heard? Yeah, I think there's something that um, you said earlier, Sabine Incan, which really struck me around how do we know as individuals, as employers, where somebody sort of tips that balance between, you know, having that difficult day, the, the stress of, for instance, you know, balancing your kids running around and, and working and actually that tipping point of actually 
I'm really not okay now. I've had a prolonged period of feeling like this and my behavior's changed and and how people know that and how is how the individual can recognize that but also how the employer can recognize and make it okay to say are you okay and what help do you need because that's a challenge in itself I think and a risk a risk for us as employers to say you know I think that maybe you're not feeling okay and let's do something about that. Actually I agree with you that's also my experience uh, you know in my role in HR I'm seen in an organizational role so I'm not seeing, being seen as a person in that moment as well you know in that moment it doesn't relate if I'm knowledgeable in TA or I'm not uh, when I would say to someone, you know, how about you might want to see someone to think about, you know, how your mental health is, this is seen as an existential threat as well, because it could mean for someone that they think, oh my God, somebody could say I'm not fit to work. We have to be confidential about these cases. There is as well, you know, employees always missing. The group in Marco is disturbed, you know, somebody is missing. There are fantasies uh, from the remaining employees about what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Nobody's able beside of the person to actually talk about what's going on, maybe. So it has to be confidential. It can't be in that moment in the respect of the, the company because the employee wouldn't, wouldn't like that. And it's their right, it's their private data. We had a similar situation with when we had a COVID case, a couple of employees asked, oh, can we know who that was? And no, you can't because it's private data. You know, you can't go around and and text someone he's or she's the one who has COVID. You know, so so you have to be careful and protective about the rights. On the other hand, I would wish sometimes for more support and learning from managers about how to recognize the differences. I think that in leadership, um, we are not quite clear sometimes. The relationship is quite often between the employee and the manager. And it's important for the manager. I think they have usually, when I talk to them, quite often they have a good gut feel, but they didn't learn how to approach it. Or or they, or they are not sure and they don't want to, to tech someone. But they have a good feeling if, if something is what I would call over the edge at work. Yeah. So where they feel, you know, this is now not any longer stress. It's someone who needs more support. And depending on the culture, I have noticed that when we talk and use a word like stress, that this is culturally more acceptable. We think that with an assistance program, we at least offer an opportunity, but you know, the people just not yet make the connection that there could be some help. But what they ask quite often is, can I use that as well for my family? Mm-hmm. So the connection comes more about oh, I have someone in my family who has a problem and can I use the service there? Which I also, and and that is the great thing we have arranged around it, that it's also for the family. So then it might be easier to ask for someone I love than to ask for myself, which has a lot to do with self-care again. Yeah, that sort of, is it actually okay to look after myself? I think that that's a huge issue for many people it's it sometimes we're just not important enough in our own view to ask for the help yeah it's easier to ask for somebody else i had a wish for you to what you can bring into the world with your services and and i think you know that would be helpful to to everyone as well in organizations that this kind of how can we talk about it and how can we approach it i think that managers and hr need support on how do i deal with the situation when i feel something isn't right the the other thing is how do i talk about grief at work mm-hmm. and, and how, what do i say when somebody you know lost both parents due to covid was it, what is it what i can say or what can i say about worry you know this kind of yeah i'm sorry for your loss 
Mm. You know, it doesn't feel for people as if it's good enough. Mm. And and I think you know to to help a little bit with the with the wording and and to give confidence to people that it's okay not to be eaten up by work just because it happens at home. Yeah, it's our hope, and I think we've we've had sort of quite a lot of feedback about mental health or our well-being, which also takes in our thinking and feeling and and behaviour, and more of a constant within a workplace. So it is. It doesn't just appear mental wellness or well-being or mental health doesn't just appear on the national days or, you know, we we put on some stands on the national days things like it's. Is it talked about as a norm, and do we make it okay? to actually access the help that we might already have in place, like the mental health, well-being, first aiders, the EAP, where there's some sort of low take-up of EAP in some organisations, and it being on people's agenda without having also to become really unwell before it's identified that somebody is struggling or that they need to access support. So that's, as an organisation, that's certainly things that we're looking at now, not just the access to say the counselling sessions therapy sessions which of course is a massive part of what we do and we do do that hopefully successfully with a number of partners other things like like ongoing workshops for staff to attend around resilience around stress management around self-care around fatigue management days that are set aside for drop-ins for staff to attend 20 minute blocks around what what's going on for you at the moment is there any extra support that you need as well as looking at some um, intense sort of training packages around relationship type stuff within organizations so we have really listened i think to to feedback from from partners from people that we know um in our community and started to put together packages in in response to that and you know the, we have some really good feedback so we hope to do more of that we absolutely hope to do more of that we do and i personally would really like to see going forward in organizations general workplaces that it's about mental health being quite ordinary as a subject within the workplace because it still is quite a stigma it's it's almost like if i say that i'm i'm not well and i'm experiencing you know whether it's it's anxiety or or stress or or whatever form it takes then that means i'm not capable it means i can't do my job it means everybody needs to to look at me and and take care of me and it doesn't mean that at all but it's it's something about how can we start to get this train moving forward in making this an everyday conversation and people looking after each other just as a as a relational need as as we all have one thing which works well for us is that we start every meeting with a health moment and it always is on someone else to talk about three minutes about a health and safety moment small thing but you know when you start a meeting with that and we had everything from you know mental health to movies about personalities about gymnastics we had yoga exercises you know we had all kind of stuff you can pack a lot of three minutes and to start a business pack with a health and safety moment is a is a great inspiration and that is something which is really easy to adopt for for other companies as well I love that idea. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And quite grounding as well. Before you go into a meeting, it's like, I love the idea of sort of grounding into something very real like that. And it kind of, it's another way to connect, isn't it? Before, before going into yeah, business. Uh, so as I had a meeting before this meeting, I can tell you that we discussed if it's okay to have March as the month of good and delicious food, and we should send each other food, uh, you know, food pictures, because we thought it's enjoyable as well, you know, to make sure that your body is nourished. 
Yes. And, mm -hmm. and food is a lot of joy for a lot of people and connects nationality. So, you know, we just talked about what that means for us and um, that lightens up the scene as well. Oh, yeah. And it makes very good personal. Oh, that just, that's fab. I love that. I think we definitely need to do that. You want to join this? We do. I definitely want, I, I want in on the food one, definitely. <laughs> we do do our own little versions of that between us. And um, yeah, it's important. It's it, it, But there's something about, you know, about making us real in our workplace. Because it, we've got our defence and our persona, haven't we? And and ways of thinking we should be. And, and they're, the drivers are useful, aren't they? Um, you know, very often. But, you know, sometimes they're not. And it's nice to see the, it's a fab idea. I thank you so much both. That was an enjoyable conversation. Thank you, Sabine and Ken. It's been absolutely fantastic to share with you your experience and perspective on what it is like within your organisation and bringing in the TA expertise. Um, it's a, a perfect mix. So thank you. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that as interesting as we did. I hope it's given you some food for thought. If you'd like to get in touch, do so via our usual social media channels, via our website www.s2bh.org or via our um, telephone which is 01482 705 023. Next time we'll be talking to one of our TA colleagues who has kindly offered to bring her experience as the client, as the person receiving the therapy. We'll explore with her what that journey was like for her, some of the challenges and some of the changes that she's been able to make in her life as a result. Thank you.